Hi, I'm Susan Baccalini, and, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. Hi, I'm Greg Wallach, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. We are back. This is episode 328, and it is also the first show of season 8 of On Screen and Beyond. I welcome you. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. And we are back for another season of On Screen and Beyond. And this is the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, we have a double whammy to start off our first season show of Season 8. And we have Susan Bacalini. Remember Jaws? Probably one of the most memorable scenes that you'll always remember that made you not want to go back into the water. She was the first victim in Jaws. At the beginning of the movie, she's out swimming in the water and the Jaws comes and gets her and everything. She's going to be here. She's got a lot to talk about. And Greg Wallach, an L.A.-based comedian, he's going to be here. He's going to be talking about his show, Eat My Words, uh, at the Standard in Hollywood. And he's also going to be talking about being on the Howard Stern Show and a whole lot more. Very interesting guy. He's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond, along with Susan Baccalini. Well, what do you say? we uh, got so many things going on. I'm so excited for Season 8 starting, and I've uh, been getting a lot of emails from people in the time that we've taken off. Of course, like I say, we do 50 shows every year, and then we take two weeks off, take a break, come back in September. So here we are, ready to start and ready to go, so let's get right into it. It's time for Remake Madness as far as what's coming your way in theaters in September, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Remake Madness movies coming your way that are being remade in September in theaters. The Equalizer, the TV show, remember that? It gets a remake. It's going from the small screen to the big screen. And this time it stars Denzel Washington. And it comes your way on September 26th. And that's it for Remake Madness. Next on On Screen or Beyond, upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies coming your way in theaters in September. September 12th, look for the crime drama The Drop, starring Tom Hardy. It heads into theaters on that date. And the disappearance of Eleanor Rigby with James McAvoy heads into theaters on September 12th also. And you can look for September 19th to bring us Jason Bateman as he stars in This Is Where I Leave You. It's comedy drama. Also on September 12th, Justin Long and Johnny Depp star in Tusk. Liam Neeson, he's going to be starring in A Walk Among the Tombstones. And he plays a P.I. in that one. It's based on the popular novels. And Kristen Wiig takes a dramatic role in The Skeleton Twins on September 19th. And you can look for The Box Trolls. It's going to be bringing an animated story to the big screen on September 26th. And Life of Jimi Hendrix comes our way on September 26th in Jimmy, all is by my side. That is it for upcoming new movies in theaters in September. Next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD in September? This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. TV on DVD coming your way in September. It looks like on September 2nd, Benson, Season 1 and Season 2, heads your way. And look for Bonanza, Season 7, Volume 1 and 2, to ride into your home. And Chicago Fire, Season 2, along with Crossbones, Season 1, Grey's Anatomy, Season 10. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Season 9, and Persons of Interest, Season 3. 
September 9th, look for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1, Blue Bloods Season 4, The Curse of Oak Island. I like that one, Season 1. And Dynasty Season 9, The Goldbergs Season 1, Homeland Season 3, Little House on the Prairie Season 3 in a deluxe version, and also Perry Mason Movie Collection Double Features 4, 5, and 6. And you can also get The Vampire Diaries Season 5. September 16th, Arrow, Season 2, The Big Bang Theory, Season 7, Bones, Season 9, Castle, Season 6, Grimm, Season 3, Hannibal, Season 2, and South Park, Season 17. September 23rd, look for The 100, Season 1, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Season 1, China Beach, Season 4, How I Met Your Mother, Season 9, L.A. Law, Season 3, and Mama's Family, Season 5, along with Modern Family, Season 5, Nashville, Season 2, and Scandal, Season 3. And finally, September 30th, look for 24, Live Another Day, and The Donna Reed Show, Season 1, The Mentalist, Season 6, and Mike and Molly, Season 4. That's it for TV on DVD coming your way in September. Next, Movies on DVD coming your way in September. Movies coming your way on DVD in September. September 2nd, Draft Day with Kevin Costner. Mom's Night Out with Trace Adkins. And they came together with Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd. September 9th, Brick Mansions with Paul Walker. Captain America, The Winter Soldier with Chris Evans. Words and Pictures with Clive Owen. And on September 16th, The Fault in Our Stars comes our way, along with Godzilla with Brian Cranston. And Think Like a Man 2 with Kevin Hart. September 23rd, Neighbors with Seth Rogen. September 30th, Chef with John Favreau. And Transformers Age of Distinction with Mark Wahlberg. And that is it for... Movies coming your way on DVD in September. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's birthday time. We baked you a birthday cake. If you get it to me, eh? And you moan and groan and woe. Don't forget we told you so. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! (laughs) Lots of celebrity birthdays coming our way in the first week of September. And uh, don't forget, if you... As a listener, have a friend, relative, or yourself that's having a birthday, send the information to me. Who it is, if you want me to say the first and last name or just the first name, where you're from, anywhere in the world, and your age, if you want. (laughs) Some people don't want that. But send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and we could be saying your name right here during our celebrity birthday wishes, okay? Let's get right into it. September 1st, Barry Gibbs of the Bee Gees, 68. September 2nd, Mark Harmon turned 62, along with Keanu Reeves, 49, and Linda Pearl, 58. September 3rd, Charlie Sheen turns 48 years old, along with Valerie Perrine turning 70. September 4th, Beyonce turns 32. September 5th, Michael Keaton, Batman, turns 62. Bob Newhart turns 84, and Raquel Welch turns 73. And on September 6th, Jeff Foxworthy turns 55, Jane Curtin from Saturday Night Live turns 66, and Joanne Worley, past guest here at On Screen and Beyond, turns 76. That's it for birthday wishes. Happy birthday to all of you. Don't forget, send in your birthdays and your friends and anybody else And we'll say them right here at On Screen and Beyond. Just give us a little notice ahead of time. Send it to us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. That is it. It is time to get into our interviews. Two interviews this week here at On Screen and Beyond on episode 328. And first up, we have Susan Baccalini. You remember her from Jaws. That terrifying scene where she is just out swimming and gets pulled down. Then we follow up with Greg Wallach. L.A.-based comedian, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, we are joined by an actress who gave us one of the most terrifying and memorable scenes in movie history. 
she was the first victim in the classic movie Jaws, which kept many people out of the water over the years. It's Susan Baccalini. Susan, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Well, thank you. It's very nice to be with you. Susan, your part in Jaws was just so terrifying to many people. Uh, it's it's It was just, you know, it really scared the crap out of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did, I'm afraid. <laughs> now, you, you are, uh, if I'm getting this correct, when we talked there a while back, that uh, you were actually uh, an avid person that goes out sailing, right? Yes, I do. Um, I live on a powerboat now, and um, we go out, try to spend half of a month, every month, out at sea, because we're retired, mm-hmm. and we built this boat to go to sea. And so, like I said, we like to spend about two weeks every month out there. Yeah. Now, even though it was a movie, did at any time after seeing the movie, did you did you hesitate at all about going out there swimming? <laughs> yeah, at times. Like, I have friends that will stop their boat in mid-channel and go swimming. And I don't really believe in things like that because I think everything out there in the deeper water is more pelagic. You know, they're not just, they're out there, if you see them, they might be out there eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas by the beaches, normally you don't expect them. Yeah. Well, let's start, uh, I mean, we got to talk about Jaws, of course, but uh, before we get into Jaws, let's talk about how you became an actress. What what started you off in, in uh, the business? Well, um, they were doing shows with Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion, Judy the Chimp, and uh, General Ben the Bear. Mm -hmm. And they were doing fair dates with these animals. And they wanted, uh, they would like to have a girl work the animals, but they were afraid that they really couldn't handle the chimp. So I proved on my own time that I could work the animals, and we presented it to the company, and I went on tour doing fair dates. And from there, I just started training animals, and then I got into doing stunts with animals, and then I got into saying, look, if you if I do the acting part and the stunt, you can do close-ups. You don't have to fake it. Uh, and that's how I ended up selling myself on a lot of things that I got. Wow. So you were actually, uh, were you like, like a, an animal trainer to begin with? Yes, I was, a wild animal trainer. Wow, so you've worked with a lot of different animals then. Yes, I have, and you know what, it's it's always been a thrill to be able to work with big animals in a, you know, you're working outside in a beautiful area, and you have animals that you become, you love them like you love your dog. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's such a gift to be able to do something like that and travel with them and go overseas. Yeah. Now, were you, in all the time, I, people are always saying that, you know, you got to be careful with wild animals. Uh, were you ever cautious uh, about doing that? Yeah, I'm a firm believer that people should not have exotic animals. Mm-hmm. They don't know about them. There is so much to know about them, and uh, people just take them, and they take them in their house. They don't know anything about their personalities, and a lot of, like, the big cats get a thing called possessiveness, and it comes between the ages of when they're first, about, well, usually about six months to two years, it comes on, and one day, this pillow that you've had on your couch and he plays with, all of a sudden, this possessive attitude has developed in him, and he gets possessive over that pillow. You walk in that room, you're threatening his possession on that pillow, and he will charge and bite you and kill you over it. Wow. And people don't realize this, and they, you know, people come to their houses, and it's always the people that get hurt because Mm -hmm. the people don't know what they're doing with the animal. They can't. You've got to be able to read an animal, his eyes and his body position. Yeah. in order to know what they're thinking. And when you see a look come into their eye, like, you know, they're going to eat something or something's bothering them, or you've got to be able to see that to be able to work them. Right, yeah. yeah. 
We've had Tippy Hendren on a couple of times on the show, and she's talked about you know people having uh, wild animals, pets, and uh, it's 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 very interesting to to hear the different uh, you know things that she said about that. Yeah, it, it's just not a good idea. Yeah. Now, have in all the time you were doing that, uh, were you ever injured? I was bit once. In a, I mean, nipped. I got I was nipped many times, but a real bite. I I was doing a stunt for. Uh, oh my God. I can't remember her name. She's a beautiful black lady, and they had put this huge afro on me. And uh, it was a lion, a lioness attack. And we had gotten a lion that wasn't real good as it was. And she had a, a, this thing we called a neck fetish. If you touched her neck, she'd bite. Wow. So we knew that about her, but we had planned how to do it and everything. And we told them we'd do it. It's a one take, so set your cameras up. So we did the first take, and the wig came off. So that was there one time. And, you know, I can't, you can't say no when they have a whole set there. And I said, okay, I'll do it one more time. And she just took me down in the wrong position. And I had to grab her neck because she was bending down to bite. And she just turned around and grabbed a hold of my leg and wouldn't let go. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's. That happens now and then. It's a, a trainer error. It was my error. I should have called the shot the minute I didn't go down in the proper position. I should have called it immediately. Hmm. Yeah. But she got me pretty quick. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure you, <laughs> it happened so fast that you, it just takes you by surprise. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It, it's amazing. You know, people don't realize how really quick these big lumbering animals can be. Mm-hmm. So, so did you go on? Did you work on a lot of other shows, uh, like you were saying, uh, the the Clarence the Cross Eyed Lion? Did you work on those shows with the animals? You know, I didn't work on those shows. They were over by the time I I just worked those animals on stage. But yeah, I worked thing um, on like the series, the you know, um, Bionic Man, mm-hmm. uh, Bionic Woman. We did all the animal work on the Hulk. Uh, just, you know, they would call and say, we need, or we would get the call that they need such and such an animal. And we would take it in and interview, you know, with the producers or, or whoever. And they would pick the animal they wanted to do the show. Mm-hmm. And then, so what we would do is, we weren't a big compound. I didn't have a lot of animals. We had five of our own. But we would get a show, read the script. And being we only had five animals, we would call sub-rent from other animal places. And being we did that, we could pick the best animal for that job. Ah, okay. Now, I might not use that lion on another job, say, but for this job, he's perfect. Hmm. See, now, now this is interesting because when I started this interview, I mean, of course, I knew about your acting. So this is like another whole side that I didn't even know about. (laughs) Oh yeah, I've I've done a few things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I knew you you had, uh, of course, done Jaws. But before Jaws, had you done anything else as far as being on screen? Yeah, and you know what? I couldn't tell you what they were if I've had to. I did a lot of. Um uh, shoots like we did a, a black leopard shoot over in Thailand. And they told me on that one, it, the, I never saw the movie. I don't even know the name of it. And they just said the attack was so violent that they had to cut it back. Wow. Which is a, a real good compliment. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I guess if, you, you know, if you're if you trying to make it look like... Uh, now, now, one of the ones that I saw on IMDb was that uh, you were uncredited, but you were one of the victims in Grizzly? No. That is a misprint. Ah. And I have I have tried to correct that misprint everywhere and just nobody picks it up. But I tell everybody, no, I wasn't in grip. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And uh but now Jaws. How yes. did you come about getting that part? Well, an older stunt man that I had done a lot of water work with put my name in for it. And I was in Canada doing a tiger movie, 
And I called and said, hey, I'll fly back. And they said, no problem, we'll wait for you because it's not going to be filmed till summer. And when I went in, I thought, you know, they're going to make you disrobe. And I hate that, but, you know, they can't just take it for granted. Mm -hmm. So I put one nude in my portfolio, and they just, they looked through my portfolio and saw the nude. They never made me undress. They just said, you know, we're going to give you the job, and all we ask is that when you get back there, you don't chicken out. Now, was Spielberg in on the casting, or was there just... No, just one of the producers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we had uh, uh, Kyle Gottlieb on the show, who was one of the writers. He's... Right, he's great, isn't he? Oh, yes, he, he was a lot of fun to talk to, yeah. So you got the part... And uh, now, were you specifically picked for the part of Chrissy, or were you just like the gang that was by the, you know, having the party? No, it was specifically for that scene, because I saw myself like on, just like I said, you know, look, if I can do all the water work, if you use an actress, that that stunt girl's got to hide her face the whole time, and it's so obvious. Mm-hmm, yeah. But if I can do both parts, then you can do all kinds of close-ups. What is which is exactly what sold the scene. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, I know Stephen wanted an, uh, an actress out of New York, so I went back there knowing that he wanted somebody else, and they pretty much forced me on him. Hmm. But after the, I met him, and after the first shot, we got along. Just great. Yeah, yeah. He's a wonderful man to work for, and he, you know, he tells you exactly what he wants, mm-hmm. so you know what you know you can give him. Right. Yeah. Wow. Now, how did they do that scene? Can you take us through that and and tell us how it? I mean, you know, you really were. Was somebody pulling you down, or, you know, obviously the shark wasn't pulling you down. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank Kevin. Yes. I thought about that while we were filming, because doing all that flopping around out there, and then stopping, and then flopping, mm-hmm. and stopping, they did experiments with that, and they found out that kind of action calls sharks in. Wow. <laughs> That's so the last thing you want. That, I thought, now, that would, be, that would be some publicity for the movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but how did they go about making it so realistic looking? Well, what they did was there were two pilings about, oh, I don't know, 30 yards from the beach. And they took cables and ran them from the beach all the way out to those pilings. And then to the middle, I got in between the two pilings in the middle, mm-hmm. and they attached those cables to me. So those cables ran from me to either side through shivs on these pilings and all the way to the beach. And they used manpower, and they had marks on the beach, and like eight guys on each line, they would run back and forth to their marks. Mm-hmm. And as I was, as I would feel my hips go one direction, you know, I'd just throw my arms violently the direction I needed to. Wow. The hardest part was when they pull, they pull you underwater. Right. And I had to stay above the water. So I had like fins on and cut off Levi's to, I had a pair of cut off Levi's with metal sides that I clipped onto. Mm-hmm. And I made sure that I had safety releases that I could get out of the rig all by myself because I was out there screaming. If something had to happen, they wouldn't have known it. Right, yeah. So I, I always have, on any stunt I do, is make sure that I can get free by myself. Yeah, wow. Now, were there divers out there with you at the same time? No, just the camera crew was out there. Mm. There were like four guys in wetsuits and the camera, and they were standing on platforms. And Stephen was, during the flashing back and forth, he and, and the buoy, he wasn't out there. But then, like when they did the very last pulling off the buoy mm-hmm. and the down shot, the final last shot where I go into water, yep. Stephen did that one. Wow. <laughs> and what he does is they just 
you know, pull me, pull me, pull me, pull me, pull me forward. And then I'd get right to where he was, and he had the strap to my waist, and he'd just pull, which meant under I go. <sighs> but the force of their pulling didn't, wasn't the force that you saw, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're in the and you're in the water, which is like a bumper. Yeah. It must have been physical, though, with everybody yanking on you like that. It was real physical, but, you know, I was 27 years old. I was in top shape. Right, yeah. So, you know, and I was a swimmer. I'm not afraid in the water. So it, it was actually easy to do. I could, The only thing I got was cold. Really? Yeah. It, now, was it filmed at night? No, thank God. I don't know if I really wanted to do it at night. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big night swimmer in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, we filmed it day for night, and we filmed it like first thing in the morning when the, the sun was, the light was a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it looked and like so, it was in the evening, you know. Yeah, it did. Uh, we could only film for like nine in the morning, and I was back home in the hotel in a hot bathtub. <laughs> That experience, how, how long did it take to actually film that one scene that we, we all know and remember? I was back there for 10 days. I probably worked seven, probably about seven or eight days on it, but we only worked for maybe three hours in the morning, and then we had to stop. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all the, the land scene was just done in one evening shoot. The, right. the fire and the running across the the dunes Mm -hmm. and then all the water shots were done you know like six or seven different days three hours in the morning yeah well it's just amazing that you know it it, it is just the beginning of the film but to take that long to do it it's just it's just amazing that that i know it i know and they finally (laughs) they finally told steven look we've got enough footage you can send her home now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so now you actually got another chance to work with with steven spielberg on 1941 now was that a planned thing you know did he did, yes, was he looking for yeah. you yeah he called me they called me and it was for his film he didn't direct that part of it mm-hmm. but uh yeah we went up to portland oregon and did it in the ocean up there and it was for 1941. It was a takeoff on, uh, on takeoff on. Oh, what was it? A t- yeah, it was a takeoff on Jaws. Yeah. Except in instead of uh, the shark coming up, I got caught on the conning post of a submarine. Submarine. Yes, I remember that scene too. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was funny. That was actually a good bit in that movie. Yeah, it was it was interesting. It was filmed in the winter inside a sound studio, and I'd look down, and they first would get me soaking wet, then they'd turn one of those big ridders on, and then they'd take me to the ceiling. And everybody I'd look down has downy jackets and hats and gloves, <laughs> and I'm there with no clothes on. Man, I was so cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the glamour of Hollywood, right? <laughs> I was going to the things you do for 15 minutes of glory. Right. Actually, about two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Now, with Jaws, that scene, uh, do people recognize you? You know, Over the years, have they always recognized you? No, they haven't, but a lot of people do. I mean, a lot of people, it surprises me when they do. You know, but I've had people in department stores, people that work there say, hey, I got a question. Or they'll hear me talk and say, God, you sound like somebody I that was on the TV screen. I mean, in the movies. You know, I'll say, oh, my funny accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, now, another scene that uh, a lot of people might remember you from is the Great Muppet Caper, correct? Yes, yes. But they were like, oh, well, 14 girls. Mm-hmm. And we all did water ballet with Miss P. We yeah. went to England. Wow, that was shot in England? That was shot in England. Yeah. In the uh, Beatles studio, in fact. They built an eight-foot-deep eight pole and kept it warm enough that it kept the clarity, because if you heated it up too much, you'd get foggy. 
And we just were in the water all day long. Wow. It was great, you know, for a swimmer. I mean, and to, I got to go to England, and I stopped it and went to Greece on the way home. It was great. Yeah, hey. <laughs> Why not? Huh? Oh, the hey, travel, the perks of the business. Right, jeez. Any regrets about doing Jaws at all? No, I don't. I don't have any. Well, I do in the sense that I'm sorry I kept people out of the water. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, that's a bummer because, you know, it really is a fantasy. The chances of getting hit by a shark are so slim. Yeah. But, you know, it makes people, you know, it was like after um, Psycho. Nobody wanted to take a shower. Right. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's true. It seems lately, especially this summer, we've heard a lot about shark attacks lately. There have been a lot of shark attacks lately. Mm. Yeah, I just think, well, for one, they used to keep them really quiet. My mom, when I was in, like, fifth grade, worked at a TV station, and I was interested in sharks. And she got me a report on all the shark attacks in Florida, and there were a lot more than people ever heard about. Wow. And if you hear about them, you usually hear about them real quick, and then they try to jerk them off the air. But nowadays... They're publicizing them so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lately, lately it seems like that. And of course, with the was it Discovery Channel, they have their Shark Week and everything. And, and oh, did you see the show on the thirty foot with a thirty foot shark? No, I didn't see Down that in South Africa when they believe a, a white thirty foot shark. They call him submarine. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, it's unreal. Yeah. Now, anyway, how- once you- how long was the one supposedly in Jaws? I think he was supposed to be about... Oh, God, you know what? You got me now. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I don't really know. I, I was just uh, just wondering... 30 feet? Was he supposed to be 30 feet or 18 feet? No, he must have been 30 feet or something yeah. like that. I mean, that's a huge shark. That, that, and, and, hey, you know. any of those things are huge. I saw a 14-footer that they... A fisherman caught out here, mm-hmm. and I went down to the dock, and he was dead, but he was laying next to the dock, and they are massive. I'm sure, too. You know, I would, I'd just die of a heart attack if I saw one in the water. <laughs> now, when you were standing there looking at that shark, if people knew it was you from the movie, I mean, I can see everybody wanting to take a picture of you with the shark. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know it, but if they had, uh, they probably would have asked because they people ask for unreal things. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, what an opportunity, you know, <laughs> you with the shark, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I got a tooth off of him. Oh, really? Somebody, somebody that night tore his mouth up. The guy was selling him for a lot of money to one of the aquariums to put him on. Um, they were going to stuff him and put him on exhibition. And he couldn't after that. And so I asked some friends that knew him very well if he'd give me a tooth. Mm-hmm. And about 15 years later, I, wa- I was in a marine store, and he walked in, and he spotted it from all the way across the room and walked over and asked me where I got it. Hmm. And I told him, I said, off your shark, I'm sure. And I explained to him who it was, and he said, okay. <laughs> I said, you never found the guys, did you? And he said, no. Wow. Yeah, that was a shame. Now you spend the time a lot of time out in the water, um, and are you a diver? Yes, I am. I'm just now slowing down because my back's getting a little stiff and my tank's getting a little big. Mm-hmm. But I still go in the water. Now, have you in in all the years you've been diving? Have you ever seen sharks in the water? You know, when I was over in a place between West Australia. In the Indian Ocean, about 2,000 miles west of Australia, there was an atoll there that we stopped at and spent nine months there. And every time you dove, sharks would come up from the depth. It would go to, like, 60 feet and then drop straight off. And these, like, they call them bronze whalers. They're like our bull sharks, big and thick. Mm-hmm. And about 10 of them would come up every time we drove dove the entrance to the lagoon 
because that's what they do. They fish the entrance where the currents run, and as the fish come out, they eat them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the only time, only place I've ever seen them. Yeah. And it, we saw them, like I said, a lot. Yeah, and you spend and, a lot of time. But never bothered us. Pardon? You spend a lot of time in the water, so... Yeah. It, it, yeah. But that's I, the only you time. You just never see them, but, you know, you'll get signs that are sharks in the area. You know, all of a sudden, everything will disappear. And that, and that's when you want to get out of the water, right? <laughs> that's when you that's when you know somebody's around there and everybody else is hidden but you. Right. <laughs> it's not good being the only one out there. <laughs> I don't like that feeling. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Jeez. Susan, I get two final questions to finish up with, and the questions are what are your favorite T V shows of all time and what are your favorite movies of all time? Oh wow. Let's see. A favorite movie. That's a real hard one. Probably, oh, let me think. Oh, you got me here really good. <laughs> you lost me on the last two, boy. I just can't think. And I don't watch that. I don't watch that much TV. I watch news and politics, but I don't really watch many TV shows. Yeah. What about grow- when you were growing up? Was there a favorite show you used to watch? Oh, Lord, as I was growing up. Well, yeah, I like. When I was a kid, I liked the Mickey Mouse Club. Ah, yes. We, in fact, we've had we've had a couple of the Mickey Mouse Club people on the show. Oh yeah, because I was young and it was great. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. That's yes. What I was thinking of. Yeah, he's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. And let's see, TV shows would have to be. Well, lately, I enjoy watching Naked and Alive. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. I like it because sometimes they're, the people on it just don't use their common sense. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I just, they do things and I think, now, why did they do that? Yeah. Well, why don't they do this now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> do you watch it? I've seen it, yes. Yeah, it, it's an un, it's unreal. Yeah, I don't know how they came up with that show. Yeah. <laughs> well, Susan, I want to thank you so much. It was a pleasure to meet you there a couple of months ago when we when we got to meet, and uh, I thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, that's it's been great talking to you, Brian. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining me today on On Screen and Beyond is an L.A.-based comedian who has appeared on The Howard Stern Show and he has performed all over the world, including Sydney, Australia, all over the U.S., and Poland. It's Greg Wallach. Greg, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, Greg, comedians, it's, to me, that's one of the toughest things to do. <laughs> How did you get started you know, to be a comedian? What, what prompted you to do that? Well, I've been working for uh, uh, several years, and when I started out, I was really uh, more of a storyteller, and I still consider myself a storyteller, but when people would come to see uh, my shows, uh, they were always really funny, and people would say, oh, you're like a comedian, but there are serious parts as well. So uh, I straddle both worlds between um, storytelling and and, uh, comedy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, have you have you always wanted to be a, a, a storyteller or a comedian? Well, I feel um, I feel because I have sort of an interesting, uh, unique point of view. I mean, I'm a I'm a gay guy, and I have cerebral palsy. Uh, and being a gay man with a disability, especially as a young person, I feel like I had a lot to say and a lot. A unique point of view to share. So I feel that initially when I began my career, 
that was really the impetus for me to get up in front of people and uh, and share my observations and tell my stories because I felt like uh, you know it was a, it was a unique voice and something that uh, we hadn't really heard before. So I think initially that's what motivated me to to get on stage and and do what I do. Now, do you write all your own material? I do write my own material. Uh, I I come up with a lot of material in the in that uh, very traditional way of storytelling, which is sometimes I literally just go to the stage with kind of a loose idea and uh, tell a story uh, quite literally in front of people as if I were telling it, like you know, around the table, around the dinner table, or around at a restaurant. And so, but I also sit and write as well. I also sit and craft stories as well, but I really do enjoy that, uh, the idea of sort of working on your feet and improvising and, and, uh, sharing a story in real time. So who were your inspirations, uh, growing up as far as being comedians or, or writers or storytellers? Oh God, you know, well, I love Spalding Gray. Spalding Gray is just phenomenal, such a phenomenal, amazing storyteller. Uh, I love Mike Nichols and Elaine May when they would do their sketches and improv together. I thought they were really fantastic. Of course, Lily Tomlin is, is great. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, and even Laurie Anderson. I mean, I, I really uh, enjoyed listening to Laurie Anderson and sort of how she did this um, storytelling over kind of a, a musical track, I always found really interesting. And although not necessarily uh, outwardly funny, I always, I always felt like uh, she had a very unique sense of humor and a unique point of view. Well, sometimes the funny stories or com- – I don't want to say comedy because it's not comedy, or, or you know it can be, but uh, the, the funny sure. stories in a storytelling – it sort of reminds me like like Bill Cosby. You know, he sort oh, of for sure. You know, he yeah. sort of tells a story about his life, but it, there's humor in it, right? And I think that's I think that's quite natural. I mean, I think that's uh, that's the thing about life. I mean, there are these really great human, funny, uh, special moments that if you look for them, they're there. You know. Now, is there is your show the same all the time, or are you always looking? At, I mean, and and I don't mean year after year, but you know, for a stretch, is is each routine basically the same that you have certain stories, or do you mix it up, or do you sometimes just ad lib? Well, you know, I have certain stories that uh, I've told on and off again for a while that people have really connected to and seem to really love. There's a story that's going to be on the Moth Radio Hour. Uh, the week of September 16th, and it's a story about how I go down south and I get caught up in a faith healing, and uh, it's a really great one, and it's it's one that's made the rounds for a little while now, and that's going to be um, on the Moth Radio Hour, and people can check out more at themoth.org to find their local uh, NPR station that carries that but that's that's a story that i've told a lot and then sometimes i literally just like a story will have happened to me that day or something will have happened that week and i'll take it to the stage that night and sometimes sometimes they work sometimes they don't but uh i always enjoy uh just trying to be present and telling the best story that i can yeah now these stories basically exactly what happened or are they little things that you found humorous and then you you know you stretch them and and enhance them for for comedic you know listening (laughs) oh sure well sure i mean uh yeah i'll definitely condense things and i'll i'll play with time a little bit because sometimes you know you have to um condense things to make them make more logical sense in the in a in a story but i try to um I try to focus on something. I try to keep it true and as true as I can mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier that you, uh, Lily Tomlin was you know, one who inspired you. Uh, now, am I correct that you actually worked with her? Is that, is that correct in saying that? 
we didn't work together, um, but um, several years ago, we were both performing at the Tampa Bay Performing Arts Center, and that's where I, I met her and saw her show. And we were performing at the same venue, but we didn't um, we didn't work to, together in the same show. Okay. But it was great. It was great meeting her. She's just a phenomenal person and so talented. Oh, yeah. Absolutely talented. Yeah. 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 It's, it must have been a thrill. I mean, she is such a funny person. Yeah. Yes. Just incredibly, incredibly funny and smart. I mentioned in the introduction that you, you've been on the Howard Stern show, correct? That's right. I was on the Howard Stern show some years ago. He did this thing uh, on E! Entertainment network where he had a segment called handicap star search and he had several different people with disabilities come on and compete against each other uh star search style and i believe it was a three part it aired in three parts on e uh and i didn't win <laughs> but uh it was it was fun to it was really fun to compete and really fun to uh, be involved in that sketch. And Howard really was one of the first people who gave me uh, some pretty major exposure. Like, and he was, he was exceptionally uh, lovely and nice uh, off the air, which I think surprised a lot of people. But he was, he was actually really a kind uh, person. And when we, were, when we were doing the sketch, he came in beforehand and he said to all of us, um, you know, nothing, nothing we do here today is personal. Don't take it personally. We're here to make great television and great radio. And so let's have a good time. And, and we did, it was really fun, but I, I was uh, so impressed by what a uh, kind uh, person he was. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, when he first started doing like um, the America's Got Talent, uh, I kind of wondered because, you know, it was like, you know, you hear so much about him, and you, and you you kind of get the feeling he's going to be, you know, rude or mean or or whatever to these people. But after watching the show, he actually seems to be genuine and, and like kind of nice guy, you know. Yeah, he struck. Even then, he struck me as a very uh, genuine person for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, he you know he he's on TV. He's he's got a show, and he's got to do his image and things like that. But uh, you can tell when he's talking to these people on America's Got Talent that you know he's really trying to help them with his suggestions. He, he you know, telling little kids sometimes that they're not ready to go on. Well, that's the tough thing to do. But you know, he it's 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 better than lying to them. <laughs> right. Right. Now you say you're handicapped, so uh, are you in a wheelchair? Oh, for those who don't know, I, I walk on crutches. I have cerebral okay. palsy and walk on crutches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's actually kind of a fun thing because uh, as a comedian or as a performer, for someone who's never seen me before, when I walk to the mic, uh, people don't know what they're what to expect. And so that's always a fun moment for me to play with because – uh, it's it's powerful in a certain kind of way because um, I don't think people necessarily expect people with disabilities to uh, be funny uh, on stage. I mean, and of course there's, you know, Josh Blue and a couple of other comedians with disabilities, but it's always, uh, it's an interesting thing because people, it, it uh, shifts people's perspective a little bit when I open my mouth and have something actually uh, intelligent to say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so were you a little hesitant when you first started uh, getting into the business about, about performing on stage? Well, I mean, I've always been, been me. This is, this is always what I've known. Uh, so I, 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 I've never really thought of it that way. I've never really, I've never really thought, oh, this is a thing that might get in my way of doing what I want to do because it's it's just always been me. It's been part of who I am. So, I mean, and just in terms of being anxious or nervous, I think like any good performer, that never quite entirely dissipates. I mean, it's always good to have some nerves and some energy uh, getting up in front of people. I think if 
I think you're in trouble when you think, oh, I got this. I got this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good to be it's good to be confident, but it's also good to to have a little bit of an edge there in terms of, uh, yeah, I don't think those nerves ever quite uh, vanish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it takes a lot for anybody to get on stage and you know you you have sure. to you're, you're out there and you're exposing yourself to everybody uh you know in a sense uh and that takes a lot of guts to do that and uh you know just just anybody yeah i think so. <laughs> i think well i enjoy, i enjoy what i do i mean i i'm i moved to do it what do you have coming up uh that uh, you can let us know about where people can can go see you and see your show Sure. Well, a show that I created that I really love, that I've had such a good time uh, doing, I host and produce a show called Eat Your Words, uh, Stories About Food, and it's at the Standard Hollywood, and it happens the first Thursday of every month. Our next three shows are September 4th, October 2nd, and November 6th. On the September 4th show, I'm really excited. We have some great guests. We have Brian Finkelstein, who's a storyteller with The Moth, the organization I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also have Brian Petroff, who's the co-owner of Big Gay Ice Cream, uh, which is the ice cream truck and shop that's in New York. And they're also opening a Big Gay Ice Cream shop in Los Angeles. And we also have Beth Stelling from The Pete Holmes Show and At Midnight, who's a really fantastic <clears throat> comedian so uh we're we're really looking forward to that show and what's unique about eat your words is that not only do we have comedians and storytellers and performers every month we also try to have a chef or a bartender or a restaurateur come on and talk about uh, their experience with food. So all the stories are food themed, and we also have, try to have someone from the food community uh, in Los Angeles. Hmm. Because I think everybody eats and everyone has a story to tell. So I wanted to create an evening that gave people that feeling of community, like sitting around a kitchen table, sharing stories over a bottle of wine and uh, some good food. So it's been a really fun show it's a nice kind of intimate show where uh people in la get to come meet some of their favorite performers and favorite food personalities mm-hmm. and, and is there a website that they can go to to get tickets for that or the, the, what's great about the event is actually it's free oh, so wow. it's, it's open it's open to the public and it's open to hotel guests alike and so people can find out more information about me and the shows that I'm doing at my website, gregwallach.com. And I'm also on Twitter and all that other social media. So mm-hmm. I enjoy connecting with people and especially, especially if people have stories that they feel like they would like to come on and share. Uh, I'm also open to hearing, hearing from those folks as well. Yeah. So uh, now I mentioned earlier that you had performed in uh, Sydney, Australia, and and in Poland. That that must have been exciting to go to those places. I've traveled around quite a bit uh, performing over the last several years. I did, in Sydney, I uh, I performed at the Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, which was, I think, the biggest, uh, if I'm not wrong, I think it's the biggest gay event uh, globally, and uh, it was it was fantastic. And then uh, when I went to Poland, I was part of a performance festival that toured through I think five or six cities in Poland uh, along the way. And we we had a great time. And uh, I've been to Moscow and uh, London and some other places around the globe. I'm wow. it's always really fun to travel. And the 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 interesting thing about Poland uh, especially was um, I had a translator, which is interesting when you're doing comedy and storytelling because it was like simultaneous translation. And uh, so I would say uh, several lines and then the translator would then repeat several lines after me. And so it became, uh, we, we did the show in tandem basically. Mm -hmm. And it was really fun. I had a great time doing that. And it was, it was really uh, fun and amazing to uh, 
but language didn't have to be a, a barrier, you know, yep. that I could still share my stories. Now, does something like that throw you off, though, on your timing? Or, or are they reading reading your – do you have a script that they're reading, or are they actually listening no. to you and talking? And Well, I've had interpreters in, in several settings, not only in other countries where English isn't the first language, but I've also had um, sign language interpreters at many of my shows. And usually the interpreters, whether they're linguistic – interpreters or sign language interpreters like to be off on the side of the stage somewhere. But what I love to do is they're literally repeating the lines that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I like to bring them on stage and, and give them their own space on stage because we're literally doing uh, the same material. So I, I want to encompass them and make them part of the show and not just someone who's sitting off to the side. So the interpreters aren't always comfortable with that, but uh, it's it's really fun to do because we're literally getting up and saying the same material. And usually they don't read from a script. Usually they're just um, listening and then repeating what yeah. I'm saying. But do you have to pause? And wouldn't that throw off your timing? I mean, because let's face it, comedy is very oh, timing-oriented. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, especially in Russia. Like, um, <laughs> that, that had uh, to be difficult. <laughs> Yeah, when I was in Moscow, like I would say something and then the reaction would come like about five or six beats later <laughs> to something I had just said before. But, but you know, you, uh, that's part of, uh, it kept me very present. You know what right. I mean? It kept me very present and kept me very focused on what I was doing. And it's fun. Like, when am I ever going to have that experience Right. Again? Oh, yeah. Jeez. But it's it's almost like... You know, being a comedian is tough because you're wondering first if the crowd's going to laugh, but then when you're in a situation like that where you've got that pause, it's like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, now I'm right. not just waiting. Sure. I'm waiting a little bit longer. Is is it going to come to me? <laughs> Are they going to get it? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Wow. That that's a that must have been fun. It, it must have been a very interesting trip. I'm sure. Oh, really? I love to travel. I love to travel. I. Something that I did recently that I had the best time, I uh, went over to a school in Venezuela and worked for about a week with the kids there. Because something I do aside from performing is I teach um, storytelling workshops to kids and adults alike. And it's something that I do uh, both in person here in Los Angeles and also online. I, I Skype with people and I do it online. And... Uh, but I traveled to Venezuela and I worked at a school in Venezuela for about a week with all the kids there. And what was so amazing is to sit with kids and hear them share their stories mm. and, and the stories that they have to tell. And the idea behind the workshops that I do, they're called the alchemy of storytelling, is I have kids take an event from their life and maybe you know maybe it was a difficult event or maybe it was traumatic but not always just whatever they want to share and but then the idea is that through storytelling you can reframe the event in your life and simply by speaking it out loud in front of a room of your peers it changes the power that the story has over you because now you, now it exists outside of you. Now it exists in the room in front of your peers. And I, um, I've seen it really change people, uh, in the way, like in the old Southern churches, how they often say, uh, can I have a witness? Mm -hmm. And I think what they're really, I think what that really means is like, we as human beings have this really deep need to be heard and, And that goes such a long way in feeling connected to each other. So what's really fun for me when I do storytelling workshops is that there's something really powerful about standing up and saying what you have to say and feeling like a a group of your peers um, heard you Mm -hmm. and understood you. So that's, it's been really powerful to, travel around the country and work with kids in that way. That's one of my favorite things aside from performing is, is uh, hearing the stories that, that kids have to tell. Yeah. And, and I'm sure it, it, it sometimes brings out some kids who 
maybe normally wouldn't do that. You know, they wouldn't step forward and, and be out in the limelight. And I'm sure that helps break down barriers for them. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes some of the shyest kids who really are like, oh, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm nervous. I don't talk in front of people. But then when they finally, we do some exercises that are fun and kind of ease everybody into uh, a safe space together. But then when those kids that were the shyest, the ones that re- really didn't want to speak, then when they do actually stand up to tell their story, they usually have the most profound jaw dropping, uh, story of anyone in the room so it's always really interesting to you're right it's always interesting to see um what stories kids have to tell i remember visiting this one school and the teachers had warned me about this one kid they said oh he's trouble he's always like he's so disruptive and he climbed a tree the other day and wouldn't come down for like six hours and uh, so they kind of warned me. They were like, look out for this kid. He's, he's trouble. But when we worked together, he just had profoundly deep creative stories to tell. Wow. And so, great. uh, I think that's really funny. You know, I think sometimes the trouble make troublemakers, uh, are the creative ones mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Well, Greg, I'd like to finish up with two final questions. Sure. It's going to take us away from from everything you've done uh, and uh, take us into a more personal part of your life. When you sit down and relax, and I know you're working all the time, so maybe you you don't watch much TV, but if you do watch TV, what are your favorite TV shows now and of the past, and what's your favorite movies now and of the past? Oh, gosh. My favorite TV shows. I don't watch a ton of TV. Mm-hmm. Um but I've been watching Masters of Sex on Showtime, mm-hmm. I believe, yep. and that's that's been that's such a phenomenal show. It's so good, and um, I'm really a fan of like episodic uh, TV that tells a story. You know, I mean that comes from my bias of being a storyteller. But right, yeah. it, when when we're so flooded with um, reality shows and shows that from week to week the narr- it does like how the narrative they just drop the narrative the narrative doesn't even matter a week later i'm i'm a fan of shows that actually carry the thread of a story throughout the season mm-hmm. so i really have loved masters of sex that's been a really fun one to watch um nurse jackie's another really great one um shows of the past when I was a kid, I was a really big fan of MASH. I really yeah. liked MASH a mm-hmm. lot and the relationships that were in that show. Um, films. Uh, I love a lot of foreign films. I like the film Delicatessen. That's one of my favorites. Um, and Wings of Desire, the Wim Wenders film, one of my favorite films. Um, a film now? Gosh, it's been such a long time since I've actually sat down and watched a current movie that I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of one now. I mean, I'm sure I must have been sat at night in front of the TV watching some current film, but it's been a really long time since I've sat down to watch a, a full-length feature. Yeah. I, I ask everybody that question because it's just it's it's interesting to find out what people's favorites are. And most of the time, you know, right. some of them are the same and some are different. Um, TV shows, uh, of course, a lot of them that right. in the past uh, lately have been uh, the Breaking Bad's coming up all the time. Everybody's <laughs> saying they like right, that Right, right. But uh, it's always interesting. Oh, and yeah, Orange is the New Black is another one that's really great. Mm-hmm. I know everybody's watching that. And yep. I think it's just phenomenal because of the of the strong uh, female characters that are on the show and the Laverne Cox, the transgender actress that's on the show and uh, just showing a lot of diverse, strong women uh, making a show is really inspiring. So that's been another one that's been really uh, great and fun to watch and really changing the landscape of how, um, television is made. I mean, you know, cause it's, it's a Netflix, um, Right. It's done via Netflix. And so I think I think it's Orange is the New is the New Black is sort of the ground floor of 
how TV is or how media, I should just call it media, is going to change. I think at a, at a certain point, the idea of television will kind of dissolve and is already kind of dissolving into this other into this other thing, Definitely. this other way that we, that we uh, get our media. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. Yep. Well, Greg, I, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and share. And uh, everybody should uh, go online and see if they can make it to one of your shows. I'm sure they'd enjoy it. And uh, we appreciate you for doing this with us. Oh, well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it, too. Two great guests. I want to thank them both for taking the time to talk to us here at On Screen and Beyond. Susan Bacalini from Jaws, 1941, The Muppets, everything else. And, and she just did so many great things. And that scene in Jaws just, it, it, it scared the crap out of everybody. <laughs> That's all I can say about that one. Uh, and I uh, also want to thank Greg Wallach for taking the time to talk to us here at On Screen and Beyond about his comedy and everything else. Fun people. Hope you enjoyed that. We've got another great guest coming your way next week here at On Screen and Beyond. I hope you'll be joining us then. If you have a suggestion, send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. We'll see about getting your favorite person on here at On Screen and Beyond. And if you just want to send me a, you know, birthday wishes for somebody that you've got coming up with a birthday, I'd like to hear about that so we can say it right here at On Screen and Beyond. And, uh... All the other things, you know, the normal things, uh, like us on Facebook, and also uh, give us a review on iTunes, all of that stuff. We appreciate it very much, and uh, had a great vacation, but now we're back at it again, and I'll be heading out to the California Independent Film Festival very shortly, and if you're in that area, I hope you'll join us, and I hope to see you. If you do, if you go there, be sure to say hi to me. I'd love to meet some of you. That's going to be out in the uh, Moraga uh, area San Francisco area for the California Independent Film Festival. Like I said, it's, uh, some of the films will be at the Moraga uh, New Ream Theater, and it'll also be at the uh, Arinda Theater. So uh, if you're out in Arinda, you know, so there's going to be a couple of the end. I guess going to do something in the Castro uh, at in San Francisco too this year. So it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of great people there, a lot of celebrities and everything. So check it out. And also, you can catch me on Saturday mornings on KESTAM in the San Francisco Bay Area. I joined the Real to Real crew out there, and there's a possibility that we'll be doing a, uh, you know, I'll be in studio with them on that day. So uh, I hope you can uh, be listening for that one. You can go online. They also have a uh, streaming, too. So if you're not in that area, that you pick it up on the regular terrestrial airwaves that are out there. But uh, that's it. That's a wrap for this week. It's good to be back. And until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. Thank you.